Welcome to the Soul Talks podcast, where we equip pastors, leaders, and other men and women in ministry to thrive with Jesus in their life and leadership. Now let's join Bill and Christy Galtier, doctors in psychology, spiritual directors, and founders of Soul Shepherding. Christy, it's fun to be beginning a new podcast series here on family dynamics. And we're so happy to have you joining us for this series. We would love to hear if you have questions for us on this, just email them in and we'll try to address them in this series. Yeah, in these uh, months of the pandemic with uh, so much quarantining and working from home and school at home, uh, there's been a lot of stress. There's been a lot of social unrest and so many issues stirred up in our world and in our society and lots of anxiety and conflict and the news uh, feeds seem to be more stressful than ever. So we really need to uh, help for our families, our relationships with our loved ones. And so that's why we're doing this podcast series on family dynamics. And uh, we're going to be talking about dysfunctional families today. You know, Christy, I'm thinking to the uh, dinner we had just a couple nights ago. We had our daughter Jenny and her husband Nick over with our two grandkids. Yes, we have two grandkids now. Baby Lincoln was born just a few days ago. So now we have a granddaughter and a grandson. Uh, It's very fun. Uh, I get to be Papa times two. And so we were at the dinner table. All, All of us, how many was? Seven of us were at the dinner table and we were having some conversation about some movies we had seen, and, it, and we had uh, we were in adult conversation, and it was getting s- sort of uh, stimulated, and it was going on for a few minutes, and all of a sudden, our little uh, almost two and a half year old granddaughter Juju B says, "Stop talking! Stop talking! I need some attention." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was so impressed that she could do that, that she was able to verbalize that she was feeling forgotten and left out. She wanted the <laughs> conversation. Herself. Yeah, she wanted that conversation to get on the kid level so she could participate. Yeah, and she did it really, I think, in a, in a healthy way. She didn't act out. She didn't start like tantruming or throwing her cup or doing something really disruptive. She asked her what she needed. And that was the beautiful thing is that she really expected that that we would hear her her protest, uh, her her request, and redirect our conversation and include her, which of course we did. And uh, uh, her her parents were a little taken aback. And and <laughs> you know, as parents, we always want our kids to be considerate and generous and share and not be selfish. And and yet, uh, you know, as a psychologist, something I understand is that well, you know, this is a developmental process yeah. and. Two and a half years is old is too early to be expecting sharing and consideration for others because the the sense of self identity isn't even established at a basic level until age three. So, and it's out of a sense of self that we're then able to really give to others uh, genuinely and, and freely uh, for, for their welfare. Yeah, and I knew what she needed wasn't for then us all to start orbiting around her and go down to her level, but what she needed for us was for us to affirm her that we love you, Juju B. We see you. We care. What What would you like to say here too? And we didn't totally cave to everything she wanted because then at that point she was done and wanted down. And we're like, no, we're not done. You know, we're going to stay here together and talk some more. Yeah. So a mix there of giving her quality attention, but also having some boundaries. And uh, that's that's family life right yeah. there. 
Yeah, and it's not easy, and especially in these COVID times when we're together more in our homes, we're hearing more people struggling, more pain within the families, and more people asking us questions about families. And you and I really have been very blessed because in early on in our family formation together, we were both studying family dynamics in school and getting our doctorates in psychology and taking courses and doing lots of reading on studies and getting understanding of some of these concepts we're going to be talking about, like enmeshment and triangulation. Yeah, setting boundaries and uh, self-awareness and projection, generational patterns, repairing conflicts, uh, all important subjects for the family and for all of our relationships, including uh, at church and uh, in our work life. Uh, everything's about relationship, uh, especially spiritually and, you know, in our discipleship to Jesus. We all are in relationships with people and stuff's going on under the surface that we don't understand. And so we're going to talk about that stuff and uh, bring in, of course, a Christ-centered perspective on that and the wisdom of the scriptures and, you know, just our experience. So much of what we learn in life comes out of experience if we're uh, reflective about it and uh, humble enough to, to really uh, learn and ask questions. And uh, so we, we've had a lot of experience with, with people and relationships and families uh, over the decades in our work as therapists and spiritual directors. So, so we're going to draw on that and, and talk about families. And if you are not married and you do not have children, we hope that you understand this still is very pertinent to you. You belong in these soul talks because you came from a family. And so we're hoping from these soul talks, you'll grow in your own awareness and understanding of your family system that you grew up in. And then also because every system, whether it's work or church, is a, is a system like a family. A family is a system. Yeah, even and a small so, group. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so some of these same things will apply to other areas where you're in a community in relationship. Yeah, because what happens in our relationships is that we... We relate with people mostly uh, thinking that it's based on rational and, and conscious things, but so much of how we, uh, what we say, what we do, what we feel, how we interact with people, how we react is coming out of unconscious stuff, things that we're not aware of that's embedded in our bodies, implicit memories, buried emotions, habits, uh, patterns of interaction that we've learned uh, in our childhood and that we're not conscious of, and then all that stuff is motivating us and we're not realizing it. We had such an enriching conversation yesterday with a board member about this because she realized that in our board meeting last week, it stirred up some painful feelings for her Thankfully, she came to us and she talked to us about it, and she was able to recognize that it was because it was triggering some experiences she had early on in her family. And so she was so wise to share that with us and to let us become aware of what we could do, how we could love her and enable her to to feel the love that we have for her in those board meetings and not trigger some of those things that were from her, her painful childhood. Yeah, because if we don't reflect on that and uh, take ownership of those memories and the feelings associated with that, then what we end up doing is unconsciously projecting that into the situation. And we, we uh, it, it, as if what's happening now is the same as what happened before, and as if the way that impacted me then is the way it impacts me now. And so, yeah, we can find ourselves in the posture of, of a child feeling... Uh, neglected or, or, or judged, and yet that maybe isn't what ha- is happening now. 
So the, like this story of uh, our granddaughter, Juliet, it makes me think of uh, one, one person in particular, but this has come up many times in counseling and spiritual direction. Uh, but uh, this particular uh, uh, lead pastor I was working with, he had a common experience as a child growing up in a large family that his parents sitting at the opposite heads of the table, they would have conversation about things. It might, it might be a movie like we were having, you know, in, in our family, but they, they get they get going on it and get intense on it, an adult conversation, and all the kids are around the sides of the table, and they're, they're and it's like they're watching a tennis match with the ball being hit from mom to dad to dad to mom. They're going back and forth, and some of the talk might be anxious talk, uh, frustrated talk, uh, gossip, and things that really aren't even healthy anyway. But the kids can't keep, you know, they're, just, they're getting a rubberneck going back and forth listening, and they're just feeling totally lost and left out, and that's all they know. And if you grow up in a context where you'd, it, it's like your, your feelings and your needs aren't, aren't noticed and you don't matter and you're not asked about that, then you don't know any different. And so you, you don't have the, the courage probably to say, hey, I need some attention. Mm-hmm. And so what some, some kids will do in that situation is that, you know, they'll act out in these different dysfunctional family roles in ways that, that are potentially adding to the, the problem. They're, they're destructive but they're, they're defensive. They're coming out of hurt. Yeah, so let's talk about some of these family roles because I think it's helpful to have the examples. One of those family roles is to start clowning, clowning around, trying to be funny, getting attention by inserting some humor or silliness or, or something, even a, a, a cuteness or a charm. That can be a role of being a family mascot, and it can kind of be a relief to a family where there's conflict or stress or pain and people will join in and give the child attention or the person attention because they're bringing this levity or this lightness or this cuteness or something positive. And that, that can be a positive thing at times, but if that becomes a role that that's always expected of you and that you feel like you always have to play can become a false self. It's very entrapping. Yeah. There's a lot of pressure then to, to be the one that's, funny or cute or tells the great jokes or, you know, getting attention by being silly. And so, yeah, it can become a false self. And then that person can actually feel trapped in that even in their social world because they, they've learned this. It's a defense, but it's a role. It's an identity that totally neglects any of their true needs. And they're always having to kind of perform and bring this levity or this distraction or this humor out there serving others and they they get lost behind it yeah another dysfunctional role is the addict and that, that's actually how the uh, the research on dysfunctional families really uh, came into focus was through addiction and uh, sometimes in teenage years this begins to develop in a family system and then on through life and you know addicts whether it's alcoholic or uh, drug addiction uh, other compulsive behavior patterns are all based on yeah, using this substance or activity to deny emotion and pain. We're, we're uh, without being conscious about it for the most part, we're trying to change our emotional state, change our frame of mind, and uh, not feel all that shame, all that anxiety, all that emptiness, all that depression, all that anger, uh, bad memories from, from abuse or whatever. So there's stuff we're trying to snuff out and get into another, another world, another consciousness. There's a lot of denial that's going on for the addict. And so it can be very crazy making for a family and actually force other family members into roles like the enabler. 
the enabler, the codependent, who then has to overfunction because the addict is underfunctioning. The addict is not being responsible. And addicts can tend to be quite charming and manipulative in order to foster their escape, to continue to be able to medicate, you know, the the pain or to act out and get relief from reality. And so that's very, very painful for the enabler who's left holding all of reality for the family, who's left with all the responsibility. Yeah, no doubt many of you listening uh, have played a role like the enabler or the codependent or the responsible one. And so you're, you're coming in there to be helpful to the family member who has an an addiction or, or another problem uh, that's high need could even be a, a special needs sibling, you know, a, a child with uh, attention deficit disorder or autism or mental illness. And sometimes that, that uh, enabler role gets uh, drawn on through that because, well, I, I, I'm not going to have any problems. I'm going to be the one that's going to be helpful to make things easier on mom and dad and, and for all of us. Yeah, and we often call these enablers codependents because what happens is that role of helping ends up becoming an identity where it becomes an addiction in itself. They're addicted to helping the other person kind of stay um, protected. Yeah, so say more about that because this relates to so many of our, our listeners. So. What, what you're saying there, Christy, is that uh, as the, uh, the enabler or the, the codependent responsible one, my, my identity starts to form around being the helper, the giver, the one who doesn't have problems. Yeah, well, and they begin to find their life, their living vicariously, finding their well-being attached to the person that they help and that person's success. Yeah, they get a sense of, of meaning and well-being and a sense of esteem about their significance from, from being helpful and not causing problems and uh, really pouring into other people with problems and needs and helping them get better. Mm-hmm. It's very subtle because what happens is all of these roles are really distortions of things that are natural or even healthy. So to be responsible, to be helpful, to be a caregiver, these are, these are good things, you know, to be funny uh, and, and humorous and lighthearted, that's a good thing. But then you get, it gets distorted into the clown. Uh, even, um, you know, addiction is, is a reaction to, to unmet needs and tr- trying to fill up that empty space and trying to get some source of, of pleasure and, and calm somewhere. And then there's the hero. This is the family member who feels like they have to do everything perfect. To be Maybe I ought to talk about this one because that's like me. Yeah. <laughs> In my family system, I'm the oldest of five kids. And uh, a lot of times the oldest child ends up being the hero. And uh, yeah, I, as a kid, it was like, you know, I, I love to score touchdowns and hit home runs and bring home uh, A's on my report card. And you know, be the one that would be uh, do the dishes for mom and the gardening for dad. And, uh, you know, I, I was the one that to be impressive and be a good Christian and live with good values and and get attention for that. And I didn't even realize how much it was about sort of like making my parents and my family proud and having giving them something to celebrate, to, to pull us together with, with some good feelings, because there were a lot of problems in a you know, family of seven, many different challenges, and uh, two of my brothers with special needs, and 
Uh, so I, I was sort of carrying the family on my shoulders and trying to lift everybody up. You know, for those of us who weren't the heroes in our family, oftentimes we, we feel a little jealous, like, man, that's what I want to be. I wish I was the hero in the family. You know, they get all this attention, all this praise. It seems they can do no wrong. It seems like they're just the you know, perfect example that's held up for us. But that's not how it feels for the hero. No, what's happening is uh, we're gorging ourselves on praise. And so, you know, it's nice to have dessert, but um, we need vegetables and, and meat and healthy food. And praise is like that. Praise is like dessert. You really can't live on that. Uh, we all would like to be praised for a job well done, but it, it's, it's a secondary need or even a want. What we really need is uh, acceptance, unconditional love for who we are. Uh, empathy, to be understood and known and wanted. And so these sorts of needs for for bonding and respect and significance, that's getting down to the core of who we are, and that doesn't have anything to do with our performance. So that's a big part of how you get free from that hero syndrome, as well as the codependency syndrome, where you're finding your identity in, in being helpful or in being successful or being responsible, uh, another another term that sometimes uses the parentified child. This is the some of these roles can interact. So the enabler might be a parentified child. The hero might be a parentified child. But that's a child that starts taking on uh, parent-like responsibilities uh, around the home and for uh, other uh, siblings. Often younger, but not always. Could sometimes it could be an older one too, especially if there's a special needs child there. And, you know, again, you know, to be given responsibility is a good thing. So it's not like an all bad thing to be a parentified child. The problem is when you're not free to be yourself and have needs and feelings, when you're not free to be like Juliet there at the dinner table. Hey, stop talking. I need some attention here. <laughs> Somebody look at me and talk in my language. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's important to say, too, that, each of these roles, once again, become so painful when we feel entrapped in them, mm -hmm. where it becomes all that's expected of us, all that's seen in us, and it, it, we feel this pressure. So the hero feels pressure to perform. The, the mascot feels pressure to breathe the comic relief or to bring this cuteness or fun. There's this pressure that an enabler has to, you know, be responsible and pick up the pieces and be supportive and protective. You know, each, each of these have such a burden that comes with them, a pressure and expectation. Yeah, it's becoming a false self. You're, you're, uh, that's what makes the role so dysfunctional is one that's it's defining you and it, it's snuffing out your, your true personality, your true feelings and needs, and just your, your authentic self that you want to express. And then I don't want to forget the lost child because we can't lose that one. That's a role that often gets lost. This is the child that feels invisible, feels like they can't have any needs, feels like they don't really matter. Often they're afraid that they were a mistake and not really wanted. And one of the things a lost child does is sometimes they get neglected or forgotten among all the other roles that are being played and maybe feel there's not a role that they're needed but oftentimes they're identified with it. I'm not going to rock the boat. I'm just going to try to avoid it all and fly under the radar. And they'll maybe tend to escape into 
into books or into TV or something else out, you know, that kind of numb the pain and kind of shut down to it all. Yeah, a lost child feels like they don't really matter. There isn't really a place for them. There isn't a role for them. And this is the most painful uh, dysfunctional role of all because it's like you you don't exist. And that's the opposite of love is indifference. And, you know, there's... There are lost child roles in loving families that, that mean well, but maybe there's a deficits in empathy, or for some reason the parents are, are busy, preoccupied, or they're caught up with dealing with uh, other kids and, and, and their issues. So like another role that we, we haven't mentioned yet is the scapegoat, and, uh, or the identified patient it's also called, or the, the rebel. And this is the child that's acting out. And so all families have stress. They have underlying conflict, frustrations, uh, conflicts that's not being worked out. And, and sometimes there's one child that tends to like absorb that, that tension and then act it out. And this might be in uh, addictive behavior like we were talking about, or it might be in anger and uh, uh, breaking the rules and, or breaking the family values or, or getting angry different things like this uh, or uh, not engaging with school and having uh, problems with uh, not getting good enough grades and not not learning. And so the the scapegoat child is doing things to act out, meaning the the stress, the emotion that's unconscious and and it's it's been internalized is now now being acted out, but it's not being talked out. And so the the tendency then is for the, the parents to sort of unite together, and, and again, maybe some of the siblings come in there, especially a parentified child or enabler, to now be helpful mm-hmm. to that that problem, in quotes, problem child that's, you know, they are having some problems and acting out, but what's not being seen is what's underneath that behavior, and that it's really a, a lightning rod of stress that the whole family is experiencing. But we now we... we we, we can pull together around trying to, to deal with or get, even get frustrated about that, that, that problem scapegoat child. We can project all of the pain and the issues onto this one person. Which is what we call the scapegoat. We're like mm-hmm. blaming that child. Like, oh, if it just that child would, would get his or her act together, then things would be better in the family. And it can foster denial of our own personal responsibility, our own, each of us taking responsibility for our own health, our own holiness, our own growth in, in Christ, our own inabilities to love, these kinds of things. Yeah, and it's totally unfair because what's really happening is the different, a family can be a pressure cooker with, with all this in, internalized stress, and now one child is like absorbing that and, and reacting to it and, and acting out with it. So that, that's another of the roles that can exacerbate the, the lost child syndrome because all these roles feed off of each other. They all affect each other. It's like one of those wind mobiles with the, the chimes on and the different characters and the wind blows and everybody moves around. You know, one moves and it moves all the other ones. And so each of these dysfunctional family roles can influence and perpetuate the others. Yeah, and family systems theory has studied this a lot and it found that Every person in the family actually unconsciously pushes towards homeostasis. Like it's like we want our role, even right. even though we're stuck in it and it's painful. It's, yeah. it's the old shoe that fits. Because exactly, it's so familiar, and there's some comfort in the familiarity, and there's some predictability in that. And unpredictability is very painful. And I think that's one of the things that's going on right now for us during COVID, our world right now, 2020. Things have been so unpredictable. And so I think that's made the predictability of the family roles uh, 
more painful for us in a sense. There's more this love-hate relationship with it. There's some predictability in it. There's some consistency in it. But it's also the stuckness and entrapment in it. Yeah, we're we're feeling uh, stuck in in all this chaos, these w- waves of trauma that have have come at us. Even natural disasters now, and the, the weather even seems more crazy. And, and so it, it's we want all of us as people. We want a certain continuity and and predictability and structure and sense of control. Even those of us that like adventure and like spontaneity, we still have our our routines. And children especially need that. Families need that. And so, yeah, there is a homeostasis that a family develops. And that that homeostasis, that, that sort of sameness of these are the roles, these are the routines, these are the rules, this is our culture, this is the way we do it. It's it's not usually stated in values as much as it's just kind of lived out unconsciously, it's sort of in the air. But the family coalesces and gets a certain stability around that, even when it's unhealthy and painful. And, and, and family members will sort of keep recreating that, that way we do it. That's right. And so we're going to be doing an episode on boundaries because that's an important part of working through this and getting healthier in our role and understanding. So one of the reasons we're having this podcast about these roles is because self-awareness is really important to become aware of your role, to become aware of your family and who in your family is in these different roles and what the relational dynamics are in that, because you can't get growth without that first understanding, growing in your understanding of it. And I think it's important also to say that every family member contributes to their roles by their personality and their choices. It's not like this is something that we have, we're just victims, totally victims to. You know, our personality, our choices also play a part of that. And we can make some different choices as we grow in awareness. Yeah, this is not just about uh, blaming our parents or our genetics or our family of origin, we, we have responsibility for this. We make choices, you know, even as kids, but increasingly as, as we get older, we're responsible and we can change. You know, nobody's going to uh, do the changing for Bill, That that's up to me. And so what you're saying is so important to that, that process of, of healing or growth. It, it begins with awareness. It begins with admitting, well, will this hurt? Well, that was wrong. Well, I was broken here or I, I regret that choice or I needed this and didn't know how to, how to ask for it, didn't know how to talk about it, and I reacted in unhealthy ways. So the, really identifying those things, naming those things, and talking to someone safe, a, a counselor, a spiritual director, a soul friend, a small group, and, and uh, naming your, your experiences, na- naming the elephant that was, what wasn't right there. And hopefully, you know, somebody in the family we can talk to uh, about this and say, you know, what was your experience with that? And we can empathize with each other and forgive each other and and learn and grow. Right, because as we grow in our own awareness, we grow in our ability to have empathy for others and our ability to love them. And the other thing, too, I think, is to remember that we're not alone. So to bring this into our relationship with Jesus and to talk to Jesus about our experience and to ask for his empathy, to, to ask him to show us his love, his presence, his empathy for us in our roles and to ask the Lord, you know, who have you created me to be? Because mm-hmm. that's what's getting lost when we're unconsciously playing out a dysfunctional role that we, we uh, found ourselves in in our family, and then we, we perpetuate that and start bringing that into all of our other relationships and our work. And, and at first, we don't even realize we're doing it until we wake up to it. 
So, you know, we say, Lord, well, who have you made me to be? What, what, what is my personality? What is my uniqueness? What is my gifts? And, uh, of course, the Bible has a lot to say about this. One example is in Ephesians. And like all of Paul's letters, he begins with just, just pronouncing God's unconditional love and grace, our identity in Christ. And, you know, if you just boil all that down, what, what God is saying is, I love you as you are. Mm-hmm. Brokenness, sin, uh, dysfunctional roles that, that were put on you or that you put on other people, uh, the conflict patterns, uh, the, the mess that's there. God comes in the middle of that mess before, while we are yet still sinners, Christ died for us before we've changed. And God loves us right there. And then uh, as Ephesians goes on and we come to chapter four, uh, Paul talks about unity in the body of Christ or community and loving one another. And in that context, he talks about healthy roles, uh, gifts that God has given to each of us. And one way to understand dysfunctional family roles is that these are getting, these are perversions of the the good uh, and true and uh, loving roles that God gives us to to step into as we understand that we are known and and cherished, love for who we are. And so the Lord calls some of us to be uh, apostles or uh, entrepreneurs, dream awakeners, starters, initiators of, of, of great things uh, with God, some to be prophets or truth tellers, people that are good at, at bringing out, hey, this is what's going on in our world today. Hey, this is what we need to, to learn. And sometimes speaking a hard word, speaking the truth in love, uh, evangelists that are, are uh, winsome about the gospel of Jesus and are great at telling stories and testimonies and getting excited about new things and, and inviting people into that, especially uh, as Jesus is in the middle of that, and uh, pastors or shepherds, uh, people who are uh, taking uh, um, concern for, responsibility for the spiritual welfare of others. I'm even a small group leader is a or a spiritual director is, is a, a pastor shepherd of, of a type. Uh, a mother or father, spiritually speaking, uh, can be in a role like that. Uh, and, and teachers, people who uh, educate others in so many ways that we might educate others. But the, the key from the, the biblical perspective is a teaching is when you know how to do some things uh, well, especially as it relates to, to virtue and loving one another, and we're able to uh, encourage and guide other people in that. And so Paul says that all these different gifts are given to us to, uh, to build one another up and to promote uh, unity and uh, harmony and uh, engagement in our relationships that we can grow in Christ. And so that's why this subject of dysfunctional family roles is so important is because we, we need to get free of that stuff so we can take on our identity in Christ and the role that God would give us, the gifts that God has given us so that we can love other people and, and make a difference in our family, in our place of work, in our church, operating out of that true self. Well, we always find these conversations really enriching at our institute when we do in our spiritual formation retreat. We talk about family formation because our family formation is a part of our spiritual formation. And the Lord wants to sometimes reform and bring some healing and freedom for us in that. And so we would love to just have you join us in person for our spiritual formation retreat. We have the first one coming up in cohort 10, October 12th in Big Canoe, Georgia. And then cohort... Just outside of Atlanta. Yeah. And then cohort 11, July 12th. 
up in Idlewild, California, Southern California mountains. So check out on Soul Shepherding website, our institute page. You can apply there. You can reach out and ask some questions to get for information. And then for those two cohorts, we have the spiritual direction training starting for those that want to earn a certificate in spiritual direction or just want to grow and understanding in more enrichment between their retreats, keep the growing and the learning and the community going uh, in March. Yeah, spiritual direction certificate. That's the ministry of spiritual hospitality, how we listen and gently guide other people spiritually in their discipleship and their growth and grace. And training and being a soul shepherd and going a little deeper with some of these materials even beyond the week of the Institute. Yeah, every March we start the spiritual direction certificate training and that's all online. Yeah, so at the Institute when we talk about these family roles, we often have time where we're taking question and answers and kind of going deeper and putting some personal stories to it. And sorry that we don't have time to do that now, but we just want to thank you for joining us and, you know, bring this into a soul talk that you have, somebody safe who can empathize with you and listen to you and what it felt like to be in your role in your family. And you can receive some of Christ's love and some of his, what he's saying to you and how he wants to bring healing and forgiveness and freedom to you in that. We also just want to thank you and affirm you for pushing aside all the distractions in your life right now and being really intentional to grow. And you're doing that by tuning into Soul Talks it's part of your growth in Christ. It's part of your formation. And we're really honored to have, have you join us with that. And we also want to thank you for your podcast reviews. And we're so encouraged by your taking the time to say that you found Soul Talks to be a rich resource for your growth. And you see the impact on your relationship with Christ. That's our prayer. And then also that you're seeing it impact your relationship and fruit with those that you're serving and that you love. So Wonderful. Thank you so much for taking time to articulate that in a podcast review and encourage others to listen in. It's easy to do. Just open your podcast app, uh, go to the, um, you could just search on Soul Talks. And then when you, when you get to the, the main page, you need to scroll to the bottom, the bottom of where all the different um, podcast titles are listed. You scroll to the bottom and it says, write a review. And it's very simple to give a star rating leave a comment and uh, we read all those. It encourages us and it helps other people find soul talks. And we're so glad to have you in our community. Jesus, we thank you that you love each one of us, that you've adopted us as your sons and daughters, that none of us are lost children to you because you are the one that pursues us in love and knows us intimately. Jesus, I pray for anyone listening who does feel lost to you, that they would see you coming towards them with empathy and gentleness and love with a gentle strength and that they would take courage, Lord, to open their hearts honestly to you and to receive your love, your touch, your healing. Lord, for those that are still feeling caught and defended in defense mechanisms that that were necessary for their survival, we pray, Lord, that you would gently free them Enable them to receive your love, your empathy, your grace, Lord, and confidence in that to be free, to be all that you call and intend and equip them to be. Continue your healing work in each one we pray by your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you're appreciating the ministry of soul shepherding, you'll love my book, Your Best Life in Jesus' Easy Yoke. Really, so much of what we talk about on Soul Talks and in our blog 
and on our website. It comes out of that book. So I hope you'll grab a copy today. Thank you for joining us on the Soul Talks podcast. To find out more about growing in your life and leadership, subscribe to the podcast and visit us at soulshepherding.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. 